Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. Today is Tuesday, October 12, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. The show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Today's guest is attorney Paul Garver. He graduated from a, with a BA from Miami University and earned his JD from the Ohio State University Moritz College of Law. Paul received his certificate in alternative dispute resolution and co-authored the award-winning Planning Mediation Programs, a desk book for common pleas judges. He is a member of the Chicago Bar Association, the DuPage County Bar Association, the Illinois Real Estate Lawyers Association, and the Illinois Bar Association. Paul has been a guest before. Um, he was on about a month ago and talked about estate planning for lawyers, and it was estate planning for, well, I should say, estate planning for everyone. Um, misspoke there, uh, and there's there's an archive to that broadcast on ALRPRA.com. You can find that as well. We do have a, we asked Paul to come back today and talk about some more uh, tips and things that people might otherwise miss. So Paul is a recurring guest. Before we begin, we want to remind you of a great show this afternoon. We invite callers by either email um, or by telephone. The email is info i n f o at ALRPRA.com, or the dial-in number is 917-889-9732, and press option one to be placed in the queue. Again, 917-889-9732. Really quickly, before we get going, we want to tell you about a contest we have going right now. Um, actually, more less of a contest, everyone wins. Uh, anyone who does call in and ask a question or email a question after the show uh, will get free admission to an upcoming webinar series titled Avoiding Legal, Pit- Legal and Business Pitfalls in Social Media. This event will be held on two sessions. One is a morning session in Chicago, Tuesday, October 19th, and the evening session is Wednesday, October 27th. Regular price of admission for the event is $25. By way of general disclaimer before we get going, we want to remind you that this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on specific facts and location, and communication with attorney guests among guests and callers in the show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you are always encouraged to consult with an attorney or other professional in your area. And finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Moving on, Paul, how are you today? Good, Nick. How's it going? It's, I, things are good. Uh, I can't complain. It's bright and sunny outside this uh, this late into October. Our weather could be either way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's always, always good to get a little bit of warm weather in uh, October in Chicago. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Paul, I'm glad that you're back today to uh, share with us some of the uh, additional points that we might not have had time to talk about in our general introductory uh, program last time when you talked about estate planning for everyone. So uh, one of the tips that you were mentioning before were uh, overlooking uh, things like a life insurance policy and, and marshalling the assets of an estate. So that's certainly a, a huge discrepancy there. And, and I know that many of the people out there who try to do a lot of this estate planning and things on their own uh, may miss a lot of good information. So um, today we look forward to some of those tips and things that they should be uh, looking out for, and hopefully uh, they will find a great attorney like Paul Garver of the Haubecker and Garver firm in Hinsdale, Illinois, to help them with their estate planning. So, Paul, what do you what, what do you got for us today? Sure. No. Uh, thanks, Nick. Well, I, I thought I would start off just with some practical considerations about estate planning. Uh, 
I think what led us into this discussion last time, uh, Nick, if I remember, was there was a question asked or, or something came across basically saying, you know, um, why can't we, uh, you know, what's the difference between using an estate planning attorney and, and, and going to a legal forms website where I can, you know, I as the client can input my own information and it, it will spit out an estate plan for me. Um, so, you know, I, I and, and there's a, really, I mean, there's considerations on a number of levels, I think, with using a estate planning attorney um, over using, you know, just a normal or uh, some website that would end up assisting you in the creation of the document. Um, and, and I think that's, from a, a number of perspectives, and, and I, I'm going to start off with some of the more practical things, Nick, and then maybe we can move into some of the, the other stuff here later in the show, if that's okay. Um, Sounds great. You know, and, and the first thing that I would say on that is not, not only is generally a, a good estate planning attorney going to uh, be working with you um, on your estate plan from a legal basis on a, on a one-time only kind of deal. Um, but generally, they're going to be checking back with you uh, about every five years to check and see um, if things have substantially changed in your life, if things have substantially changed um, in, in, the, uh, in, in the estate tax laws, um, in the estate planning, you know, laws that would, that would come in that would affect estate planning, either from a state or from a federal basis. So uh, that is the one thing, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, and, Everybody probably is out there thinking, well, of course, Paul, they're going to do that. That means more business for them. And, and they're right. It does mean more business for the, uh, for the estate planning attorney. Um, but it also does mean that you're dealing with a professional who's keeping um, him or herself up to date on the things that are going on out there. And usually uh, a good estate planning attorney will do your estate planning documents the first time and then... Um, We'll review those usually on a three- to five-year basis and might send you a recommendation, and those recommendations generally come at no charge to you. Them making the recommendations, I should say, you know, then acting upon them is an entirely different scenario, and generally estate planning attorneys will, will let you know up front in an engagement letter or a retainer agreement how much it is that they think accomplishing these new goals would, would you know, would, uh, would cost. So... I think the first thing is, over and above, just going to a website and kind of doing a one-time thing, what you have developed is something that I discuss with my clients as the ongoing conversation about estate planning, right? Um, life changes, laws change. Um, you never know how those things are going to, you know, or you, you never know how Congress is going to go on a number of issues. And I think having a professional that, Keeps themselves as part of their uh, as part of their business up to up to date on that stuff. It's it's very very important. Um, Paul, what kind of things do you do to uh, stay up on the estate planning world, and what types of things? Is it meetings and attending conferences, general research? What types of things do you do? Yeah, no, that's that's a great that's a great question, and, and I think you hit on it. Meetings, um, being a there's estate planning committees um, for uh, the local bar associations. I I uh, am on the estate planning committee for the DuPage County Bar Association. Um, you know, we frequently uh, discuss issues with, um, they'll have in guest speakers, they'll have in judges that will come in and discuss certain issues and aspects of estate planning with you, aspects of the probate process, which is that process that takes place upon upon someone's death. Um, other than that, it's just, you know, and, 
It's keeping yourself up to speed on all the continuing legal education that's going on out there and subscribing to different, uh, you know, listservs and, and things of that nature um, that, that, that assist. We, uh, we work through Thompson West, which is a very uh, a large research and publishing um, company for attorneys, as you know, Nick, and Thompson West sends out updates to us on a, on a frequent basis about uh, the changes in the estate planning law, uh, how that, what that might do to some of our, you know, typical estate planning documents, those, those types of things. You know, there's also some changes coming up even more recently in the near future. Um, I, it's a little premature for me to discuss it because, to be quite honest with you, I'm still uh, bringing myself up to speed on the new law and on this myself, but there's uh, some changes in Illinois to the Power of Attorney Act and um, how to properly have powers of attorney executed and how they process. That's going to be taking place. That law change is going to be taking place as of January 1, and, and the law just, just recently passed. So I'm actually attending a CLE on that next week uh, to kind of go over that, understand how that's going to affect my clients. And if I realize that I did an estate plan a year ago for a client with the power of attorney um, that they might use for durable power of attorney for property, right, so that if um, someone is incapacitated, there's still someone there to be able to manage their assets for them. That's what you would use a durable power of attorney for property for. So if that law substantially changes how, uh, you know, what they've done with those documents, then we can, uh, we'll be reaching out to all of our estate planning clients and offering to them to redo those powers of attorney uh, for property. Oh, wow. So you, so you actually would audit. Uh, work that you've done in the recent past to see who is affected by the change in the absolutely. law. Absolutely, yeah, you, you have to as an estate planning attorney. Um, I mean, that's just in, in my book. That's a that's a must. Um, the you know the laws are changing so frequently and so quickly um, in regards to estate planning uh, that um, it is uh, it, it can be difficult to stay on top of them and. Um, if you if that's not one of your practice areas, right? So, I think having an attorney, but also having an attorney that focuses on their practice of estate planning and is staying on top of those law changes, and then someone that's going to have that ongoing discussion with you over time um, about the changes in the law and what, what's coming about, so that you know that the estate plan that you might have done five, ten, fifteen years ago is still a good estate plan, right? Um, that makes a big difference. And, you know, also there's some very practical considerations depending on people's, you know, times of, depending on different times of their lives. You know what I mean? That, so a, a discussion, I, I mean, it's, it's always, I've never had a bad discussion when I've brought a client back in and had a discussion with them about their estate plan. Um, it doesn't always result in additional work for us. I mean, uh, but... Um, it's always one of those things. It's a great follow-up. It, it, it keeps them with some pointers, and and I tell you, I think that they're always really appreciative when we do when we do that kind of stuff as well. So uh, that would be maybe one of the one of the more practical considerations that I would say about utilizing an estate planning attorney, uh, you know, in in that uh, in, in that realm. Uh, thank you. Do you think there's anything else I need to cover up just on that specific aspect or something that well I, you know when we were talking bef- when we were talking before about the difference between going and finding using an online service or forms or doing it yourself or copying someone else's 
you know, estate planning documents or will. I mean, I've heard all sorts of uh, <laughs> ways that people will try to, um, you know, get get legal services done, um, you know, by themselves, you know, on the cheap. Um, and I just, <laughs> I cr- you always cringe. I, you know, I come from family law originally, and we always would cringe when people would do their own uh, divorce judgments and then come back uh, and have horrible problems. Uh, later because they didn't they either didn't know the law or they didn't think about certain things and it makes it very difficult for other people so uh, how often do you have people who come to you who have mangled estate planning uh, issues and they need help is that something that happens often yeah I mean I definitely have seen that and normally though where I find it um, happening is uh, kids coming and talking to me about the way that their parents have done things like hey I don't think my mom and dad have done anything would you be willing to talk with them? And then you start to find out certain things and uh, about the way that they did their estate plan or the, whether they even have an estate plan. Um, you know, I, I tend to find the most mangled types of things in, in those situations and a, a number of things that you just expressed, you know, whether it be, yeah, well, my brother had an estate plan done and we just copied word for word my brother's estate plan or, you know, and, and inserted new names or, or whether it's, you know, um, we went to a, a legal website and we filled out a couple of things and it spit it back a document to us. Or we decided to do the old, um, we're going to take an account and, you know, we're going to take our house and we're going to deed on our oldest child, right? Or we're going to take a bank account we're gonna, and we're going to make as a joint owner of that bank account our oldest child because they will, quote, unquote, know what to do when the time comes. Um, and you know those are that's that's probably the most troubling one that I always hear, Nick, is that we take we've taken one of our children and we've put them onto the account, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, not only can that have unintended gift tax consequences on both estates, both the child's estate that gets that money gifted to them, and to the and to the parents' estate, um, but you got some potentially un, unintended consequences from. Um, the perspective of, a uh, really that joint tenancy supersedes anything else. So, you know, if I have you on my estate, if I deed you onto my house, Nick, um, and my wife and I, you know, pass, and I have kids, that house is going to you. It's not going to the kids legally. Now, you may be a nice enough guy as to um, figure all that out and, and get it to my get it to my children, um, but you're under no legal obligation to do that. Um, not to mention you're probably going to have some diff- gift tax consequences from the entirety of that thing that you're going to have to show, um, or you might have an issue with the IRS later on down the line. Uh, so that's a that's a big concern for people, and people people do that a lot without realizing what that means. Um, so yeah, is, does that does that explain that adequately? That does, and I found actually this is going to be fun because I found a list of top ten. Top 10 estate planning errors. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat on some of these, but right after we pause for our first break from our first sponsor. And those of you who are just tuning in and listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio, uh, you are listening to our discussion with Attorney Paul Garver of the firm of Harbecker and Garver, located in Hinsdale, Illinois, in suburban DuPage County. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity, think of marketing law. Think of the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. 
Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button in the law firm's business fan page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Now back to our show. We remind our callers that you can call by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 for the queue. Also, you can email questions to any of our guests at any time at info at ALRPRA.com. Again, many people do listen to our programs after the fact in the archive links that are provided using various social media tools, and we appreciate that our Listeners are listening and calling in and sending in questions after the fact. We do receive those questions, and we do keep those for future broadcasts. Now back to Paul Garver. Paul, I'm going to uh, ask you about the first most common mistakes in estate planning. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, I like this. All, All right, right. drum roll. <laughs> uh, it's the improperly improper use of jointly held property. Tell yeah. us about what the concern is there. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's exactly what I've been talking about, Nick. So you've you've, you've played right into my my last uh, discussion. That was number one. Yeah, that was the number one most uh, you know biggest biggest estate planning mistake, and I've been told that on a number of occasions that that's probably the biggest thing that people do, um, and they end up making a mistake in their estate plan is is just uh, putting someone else onto the account um, that they think will manage it for them, and then and there's really no legal recourse after that. I mean, after after that happens, if people pass, you know, yeah, you have you have a big problem if they decide for one reason or another that they don't want to uh, distribute the money out to their brothers and sisters or out to the children or whatever it might be. And maybe Just they like feel you that were saying. Because, and maybe they feel that way. A lot of times, what you find is, well, one of one of the children are close to mom and dad and are kind of the caretaker for mom and dad for a number of years. The other kids have moved away. They get deeded onto the account because maybe mom or dad or get pardon me not deeded but added onto the account as a joint tenant because maybe mom or dad can't make it to the bank as easy as they used to be able to. So um, to make it easy for everyone, they get put onto the account so they can write checks. They're an owner of that account. They can make decisions about it. Well, not only does that have a problem, a potential problem post, uh, um, you know, uh, what do I want to say here. Uh, pre-death problem in, in that that opens that account up to the creditors of, of that person. Um, so if they get a, you know, a default judgment against them for something or they default on one of their credit cards or any of those types of things, that then becomes a, an asset of theirs that can can be uh, garnished or money can be deducted from uh, in, in satisfaction of a death that might occur. So, mm-hmm. um, Definitely some some big hazards as far as that's concerned. Right, and as you were explaining before the break, um, the best laid plans often fall short. Um, the uh, the second uh, area, and this is something that actually one of uh, an individual uh, approached us on um, to ask for 
uh, one of our uh, pleading drafter attorneys to do some research. The issue is properly, uh, improperly arranged life insurance, where the primary beneficiary uh, is ma- of the life insurance policy maybe is deceased, and there's no named second beneficiary. Uh, there's no other document. There's not a trust. Um, you just have a, an insurance policy with one named beneficiary and no backup plan, and you don't have that beneficiary. Is, is that something that happens often? Uh, absolutely, and, and you could have a, uh, a an estate plan that's crafted not to take you into probate court in any way, shape, or form. But if you miss this beneficiary designation, kind of like you're talking about, where that person's already dead or deceased or you didn't put any kind of backup beneficiary you didn't utilize the trust as a beneficiary, you know, as a secondary beneficiary or something of that nature, um, you may have uh, some issues there um, from the perspective of, you know, we, uh, we, we now are drugged back into probate court to get, you know, a, uh, a, a ruling from the judge on, on where, those, where that life insurance proceeds have to go to because, Life insurance company, you know, they're an insurance company. They're they're not really wanting to give that money up if they don't have to. So they're gonna they're gonna force you to go to court to tell, to have the judge tell them uh, who it needs to go to. Um, and then not only that, but it might go to people that you haven't originally intent. You know, you, it wasn't your original intent. You know, it just just depends on uh, how much of an estate plan you have. I'm, I'm thinking of a situation where. Maybe you have no estate plan or no will or, you know, something of that nature, and it defaults. Um, you put someone on there and they're passed, and, you know, uh, it ends up going to just, now it goes back to the probate act, and the probate act may have that going to, you know, a brother or a cousin or somebody else that you didn't really care for, didn't really think needed the money or wanted, you know, and maybe you thought you wanted that money to go to someone else. So, um Definitely, uh, definitely a pitfall that needs to be avoided. Absolutely. Okay, very good. And here's another one. Ready? Lack of liquidity. What happens if people do a will on their own or with an online service, and they forget to have enough cash ready to cover death taxes and final expenses? Uh, yeah, I, and that's a that's a that's a really tough thing. Um, so let me give you an example uh, of this, and I and it's a it's a great example. Um, I had a client who obviously shall remain nameless, but um, she had uh, her husband passed. He had no will, um, nor did he uh, have a death beneficiary designated on his uh, bank account. Um, that bank account was a bank account where all the money came into that bank account, and then he gave his wife on a monthly basis a uh, allowance, right? Um, and that's just how they had always had it set up. Um, at the time, he was 47 years old when he passed. They really didn't even think, you know, they hadn't even started thinking about estate planning. But he suffered a massive heart attack and passed. And she didn't have access to the main account because it was only his name on that account. And there was no death beneficiary designated. Um, there was no will. Um, so... The Probate Act right now for Illinois, and every every state obviously differs. I know we might have some listeners from other states. Um, the Probate Act, so if you don't have a will, remember your will is your roadmap for that probate judge, what the probate judge is going to look at, determine what they need to follow. If there is no roadmap left in the will, will they utilize the roadmap that is in statute, right, in the Probate Act, to determine how they distribute the assets of someone when they pass. 
So they default back to the probate act that says half the money goes to the wife and half of the money goes to any of the children. Well, the, the child in this case was 16 years old um, and uh, was a little bit of a, uh, at the time, you know, getting in a little bit of trouble and things of that nature and started to kind of make make some issues for the mother about, well, I, I don't want my mom to manage that money for me and da 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 that all ended up resolving itself eventually um, in court, but, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of money, or she ended up spending a lot of money on, on that that uh, all could have been prevented, you know, by doing some simple estate planning thing to, uh, to keep things in place, right? Um, uh, make sure that she was designated on the will, make sure, you know, part of doing a typical estate plan review is to review the assets that the client has and talk about beneficiary designations including, you know, included uh, payable on death, um, you know, and how the titling of all the assets should be. Uh, that's part of a typical estate planning review when you go to an attorney's office. That may not be um, part of a typical review if you're doing those documents yourself or if you're going to a legal, some sort of legal website or something of that nature. Um, so those are things that that I wish she would have, her and her husband would have come to us beforehand because it would have saved a lot of money. And unfortunately for her, she had no access to any of that money, you know, to pay for the funeral or to do anything of those, do anything of that nature. So she ended up borrowing money from family and friends, um, utilizing that money to pay all the, uh, you know, funeral expenses and, and all those types of things. And then at about the six-month mark after he died, we got access to that bank account that had all their savings in it and all those types of things. Uh, wow. So, yeah, that was a tough, tough six months for her. Um, hmm. I can imagine. And it's something that no one expects that to happen. And, um, you know, that's something that permeates across of different practice areas. It's just it's not only estate planning but family law. We've seen that as well. But it's it's just a difficult thing when um, one person does not have access to things and uh, there wasn't uh, you know foresight and planning. Well, here's another one. Um, I've seen this as well. Maybe you could tell us some uh, war stories about choosing the wrong executor. And, you know, not only on the face of looking at someone and knowing that they're maybe a, not going to be the best person, but how about a conflict of interest? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's there's a ton of I, – I, all the way from I've had uh, – you know, I and, and, and this – some of this stuff gets repetitive, so I, I apologize to both you and the listeners if I keep beating the drum on some of these things, but I do think they're still important um, and, and fair bringing back up. I mean, here's yet another scenario where um, having a professional that, refu- that reviews your estate plan with you on a three- to five-year basis, right, and kind of gets you in queue to do that kind of thing um, becomes very important. Uh, because maybe your kids were minors when you started your estate plan, right? And then 20 years could go by, and they could be in their 30s, right, very easily. And they could be the most capable people in the world. Um, but when they were minors, maybe you named your brother, your sister, or whoever um, to be the executor of the estate. And, you know, maybe uh, you decided that they could do that without any compensation, but now, you know, your brother lives in Florida and you're in Illinois, and this just ends up becoming a huge hassle for everyone, you know, and trying to 
A, figure out what's fair for everybody, but B, also, and, you know, is, is my dad, is my uncle really going to do what's best for all the kids, this, you know, this type of thing, particularly when the parents would have been fine if they had reviewed their estate plan with one of the kids or maybe even all the kids being co-executors, you know. Um, and I, I think that becomes a, a very tough thing. Um, I always as well recommend, Nick, and this is a little bit off topic with the executor role, but that you put down in your estate plan that the executor serves with reasonable compensation, particularly if you're picking an out-of-state executor. Um, this is a, uh, a situation where I've seen being the executor of someone's estate kind of consume people's lives, you know, uh, and that's why they uh, many times seek help on that through an attorney. Um, so whether it's a trust and they're the trustee, they're named as the trustee on the trust, you, that would be called trust administration or, um, you know, or, or whether they're um, the executor and they need help through the probate process, they'll come to an attorney. The executor would be with the will and therefore the attorney helps with the probate process because it is a, it, it can be a lengthy process depending on the assets and all those types of things involved. And, uh, you know, it's something that, can really take up people's time. As such, I think it's only fair that they get compensated at some level for that. Uh, that's just my, my feeling on that. I do always recommend you name one child as being the executor. I always recommend to my clients to have the conversation with the kids as to, hey, we named this child and here's why, and we said that they could, they could serve with compensation to avoid any kind of strangeness afterwards. I think that's a, a, a good idea to do. Not all my clients take me up on that piece of advice when I when I offer it out. Some of them think that those conversations are going to be too messy or too hard, and as long as it's in writing, they're fine with it. Um, and I respect that. I, I don't, and I'm, I'm not judging them one way or the other, I, I, but I always think personally that that's the best way to go is to have that discussion with your, with your kids or your beneficiaries, my people. Right. Well, it just, it seems, I've seen a people um, with, in probate, um, where there are, where there's one uh, executor and the, you know, the, I guess one of the other uh, children um, is someone who's maybe receiving notice that that person is named executor um, and they want to hop on later as co-executor and do both. Um, are you familiar with that happening? Do you, what do you think about that? So after the fact, naming a co-executor where it wasn't originally contemplated to have multiple executors. Yeah, always, you know, the, the, thing, the tricky thing with co-executors is uh, if you have two co-executors, right, uh, if they disagree on something, there's a there's a big issue there. Uh, yep. Then it gets that's gonna you're gonna end up the only if it if it truly becomes contentious then the only way you're gonna get that issue resolved is with the judge, right? Um, if you have three co-executors or an odd number of co-executors, well at least you have somebody that breaks the tie, right? Amongst the executors, possibly saves the estate money because you know you're you're then not dealing with a situation where a judge has to decide what what actually gets done as opposed to the executors because there's a disagreement. Um, so those are some things I think to keep in mind when you're talking about co-executors getting added on. Most estate plans do state that um, if the trustee or the executor 
uh, doesn't want to serve or doesn't want to serve just by themselves or something of that nature, that they are able to add on other executors, um, you know, that, that type of thing. Uh, you just, I think that they just need to be cognizant of what happens um, or what could happen with this kind of tie-breaking scenario that, I'm, that I was kind of trying to illustrate there. Um, I think that becomes a, becomes an issue or can become an issue potentially, um, which is why I think then I think the, the alternative to that is, is you know and, and you know as much as I I'm not just trying to to continue to trump attorneys over everything else here, but I mean that that's probably why if, if the original executor or trustee believes it's going to be too much for them to handle, then you hire an attorney to handle it. That doesn't mean that you're assigning the attorney to be the executor. You're still reviewing and um, communicating with the attorney on every step that needs to be done in order for that probate or for that trust to be administered. Um, but at least then you're not having to conduct everything yourself and taking on that full burden yourself if that's going to be something that's a that's a problem. Um, certainly, and, certainly. And, so and the, the thing, the thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no. I thought I said that. I just think that's a good idea, or or, or possibly a better better alternative to naming just one other executor to help you out, and then there end up being some conflicts, you know. Right, right. And again, these are things that are going to pop up through years of experience and uh, Paul's many years of experience dealing with these type of issues because you have a diverse uh, you know, group of clients, different families, different situations. You're going to have things come up that you will experience in, in practice that the you know, the alternative of not hiring a qualified and experienced attorney, you're not going to get the benefit of that experience. It really it is experience. And maybe say everything went fine uh, with the administration of our estate and all, all the documents, but that's because everything went fine usually because the attorneys did a good job up front. Um, it's a, you know, the seamless process is, is a successful thing. Um, it's avoiding the uh, unforeseen three years of experience that makes it so much worthwhile. So back to Paul Garver with a couple more questions um, for the second part of our show, but let's quickly pause for our second break. For those of you who have just turned in, you are listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. If you want to get clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach that you should talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now. He'll help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your law firm's revenues by using the Get Clients Now program, which employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show, our Thursday show, regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Now back to Paul Garver on the law, uh, Consumer's Law Journal on Law Talk Radio. By the way, our telephone number for call-in guests is area code 917-889-9732. Always we will take your emailed questions at info at com. Also, we like suggestions for programming. If you know a guest who should be on our show or a topic that you'd like to hear, let us know. 
Now back to Paul. Paul, I have another question here. Will errors. We sort of touched on this earlier. Um, what happens when we have wills that don't get updated? They get lost. Someone gets married, divorced. Um, someone we don't, you know, has a status change we don't even know about. Um, you know, how much of in, in doing the wills is not necessarily, you know, family housekeeping, but really taking an inventory uh, of ourselves? Yeah, no, that's a uh, that, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I, I think the will updating that that always needs if, if we're dealing with a simple will or a basic estate plan that, that deals with wills and powers of attorneys and those type of things, always reviewing your your appointments on. Um, at least a three-year or five-year basis is a very important thing to do, uh, making sure those are still the people that you want. I mean, I've I've had frequent, frequently when I call clients on that kind of basis, I've had them say, oh, you know what? We used to have these people named as the guardian of the kids, and we don't want them to be the guardians anymore. Right. They're meaning to call you and tell you, let's do the, you know, let's change that. And then we do that through a quick will codicil, um, which is also uh, the will codicil is just a fancy way of saying an amendment to a will for, for attorney. So um, the uh, I think it's it's key. Now, now I think you might have alluded to there, uh, Nick, the uh, another practical thing that needs to be done with estate planning that I think most good estate planning attorneys will do, which is um, assist the client to set up a a system within their estate plan of some sort or a, uh, a piece of their estate plan of some sort uh, to keep track of all their assets, right? So one of the biggest complaints that I've always heard from um, every client that I've dealt with, you know, from a probate or trust administration standpoint, um, which is, you know, after the death of someone, obviously, and they come to me, uh, to assist in that stuff is they just don't know where all this stuff is. You know, mom or dad said they might have had some stock somewhere, or they might have had a bank account elsewhere, or they might have had this, and, well, maybe they had a, uh, a safety deposit box, we're not really quite sure. Well, you know, they they never, they don't really have any of that stuff there in an organized fashion. So um, it, I, I know many estate planning attorneys do this. We do it. Um, we include in the binder that we give to the client at the end of our, uh, at the culmination really of, of the very first estate planning uh, act, activity that we do for them, whether that's the drafting of the will or the drafting of the will of the trusts or whatever it might be. We culminate that with a estate planning binder that they get. And in that binder is what I call, tell every one of my clients is the homework section. Um, and, uh, that homework section is, it, it has a list of everything, okay? It has a, a page that says all real estate owned, and then it has another page that says all bank accounts. It has another page that says all stocks. Even if you just take in, and I always tell my clients this, yes, it has spots for you to write things down. You don't even have to write things down. All you have to do is buy yourself a three-hole punch. And, you know, if you're a green person and you want to, and you get your, you get your, uh, um, uh, account notices or your or, or uh, what I want to say your statements electronically. You print one of those out. You three hole punch it. You stick it in um, to your uh, into your state planning binder behind that. Or if you get it in the mail already, three hole punch one of them. Stick it in there so at least they know. Oh, okay, these are the accounts that mom and dad had, or mom or dad, or brother, sister, whatever it might be. These are the accounts that they had, and 
at the back of that is a, is a list of all the contact names. Okay, so here's the stockbroker that they used. Here's the financial advisor that they used. Here's the accountant that they used. Here's the uh, attorney that they used. Um, here's their normal doctor, right, who has been their family doctor for years or whatever it might be. Um, that can be immeasurably um, valuable to your executor, to your trustee, to the people that have to deal with things after you're gone. Um, I, I, have, I, I argue that it's almost as important as the estate plan itself being put together um, because it just takes so much stress off of the people that you have handling that stuff for you after death. Um, so, you know, not only are there just the constant update of that stuff, but that's another thing that, that's great. You know, I've gone back to clients after three or five years, and I and when I when I do that, I do my normal call. I, I check with them. Well, you know, how'd that homework session come along? Uh, you know what? We need to get back in there and update it. You know, and I invite them. Well, you know, if you want to come into the office and we take a look at it together to make sure everything's good, and you know, that's that's fine. Um, it's just a continued kind of discussion, you know, and a continued kind of reminder. Again, you're you're on that track where I'm going to be. Um, checking in with you on a, on a three to five year basis and making sure that you got everything set and ready for for your estate plan um, at the end. I think that's just yet another benefit of usually good estate planning attorneys and the type of system that they help their um, clients build and, and and put in the place for uh, the people that are going to be taking care of things afterwards. I love that, Paul. Building a system, it's such good information because oftentimes we know everything. I mean, really, the function of a system is to often break down things into their different components where it takes the human element away from it, where instead of all the information residing in one person's head is now reduced to a system. And, you know, a system can be something as simple as a, you know, piece of paper that's got all the information on it uh, with it, but I mean, that's the system is the com combined elements of all the other professionals, so I, it's, I, I really like that analogy, and I'm glad that you uh, make that point. Um, here's my next question, if you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. The next one is, here's a, again, our list of questions here. We're going down the 10 most common estate planning errors um, we just found this. You can we just Googled estate planning errors and found this wonderful list online here. Um, here's another number six is leaving everything to the spouse. Um, it says there's you know significant tax consequences passing everything to the spouse uh, if she, you know and then she or he passes along to the children. Um, so leaving everything to a spouse isn't always the best way, but it seems that most of us just assume that we would normally do that, that that's the best course of action. What are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, and I, I think that really comes down to the level of assets that you have. But remember, as we talked about last time, Nick, um, if you have a life insurance policy, and I know a lot of people who say, oh, no, Paul, we don't, we don't have enough money to be worried about the estate tax, right? Um, now, remember... January 1, it goes back into effect. The old estate tax goes back into effect. We're back down to a million dollars right now. Anything over a million dollars gets taxed at 55% by the federal government. Um, so you're, you're looking at a significant um, decrease in your assets of anything that's over a million. And if you have a million-dollar life insurance policy or a $500,000 life insurance policy, you're starting to, you know, to, to maybe starting to push that barrier, right, between your home your life insurance policy, um, maybe some bank accounts that you have, 
um, some other assets that might be out there, um, you know, that, that all can enter into this estate tax uh, formula. Um, and it might not be the best way uh, to have that stuff go directly to the surviving spouse, the surviving husband or wife. Um, and the reason for that, Nick, is I can pass unlimited amounts to my wife when I, when I pass. The, the death of the first spouse, there is no estate tax. Okay, I can pass all of that. So this $1 million that we're talking about occurs between when really when you're talking about the death of the second spouse, right? That's when you're really looking at having an estate tax problem. You're not going to have an estate tax problem on the death of the first spouse. However, you do have an estate tax opportunity upon the death of the first spouse. Um, and that opportunity is upon that death, they can use their applicable exclusion amount of a million dollars. So each spouse has a million dollars that can be utilized. However, if it all just goes to the other spouse, you could pass $10 million to the other spouse, estate tax-free upon the death of that, of that spouse, right? But they would, they would miss shielding that extra million dollars. And we don't have to take it a million dollars. We could take $10. We could take $1,000. We could take $100,000, $500,000. However, however much we want, and if we have the estate plan set up right, where that money goes into what most people commonly refer to as a family trust, right, or a bypass trust, a family trust, if it goes into the family trust, and that money is sitting there and being utilized, um, and basically what that family trust generally says is that the surviving spouse gets to control that money um, and is gets gets to use it for what the IRS has termed ascertainable standards. So health, welfare, well-being, shelter, food, those types of things, right? Uh, possibly even education of the children. Those. So that money is still accessible from that, from that, uh, for, by the spouse, but cannot be commingled by the spouse with the other money, right? So it needs to be maintained in a separate account and these ascertainable standards need to be followed, then you can shield that money from estate tax. So if we have a $1.5 million estate, if we estimate at the death of the second spouse, the estate's going to be over a million, and let's say that it is at a $1.5 million. By, by utilizing, by putting back $500,000 or $600,000 upon the death of the first spouse, we just effectuated a savings of probably two hundred dollars to $300,000 for that family in federal estate tax. Um, that's a huge return on the amount of money that you spend in doing an estate plan with an estate planning attorney. Uh, the, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah you're, 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 you're looking at a thousand time return <laughs> on, on the money that you spend. <laughs> um, Those are good numbers, and, better than yeah, the lottery. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're in the betting, that's a pretty good return on your money. Um, so yeah, I, and not not to even mention whether or not you, by doing that same estate plan, did you avoid the costs of having to go through probate and all those other things? Did you avoid um, other unintended consequences that you had? So not even factoring in those other costs, just factoring in the, the estate tax portion of it if you're at, at that asset level. Now, you know, there, there's some other good reasons to utilize trust, you know, um, if there's... But, you know, not, not just for the estate tax planning reason that we've discussed, but like I talked about, the avoiding probate reason. But this is one really good reason why why you utilize a trust, um, a family trust, 
that applicable exclusion amount at the death of the, the first spouse that I like to call that estate tax planning opportunity um, that you have. Very good. All right, let's pause for our third break, and then I have a couple more questions for Paul Garver. Paul, if you have any other tips that my questions have churned up, please uh, be ready for those. Um, and, but otherwise, I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, our third sponsor of the day is credit damage expert George Finder. Credit damage expert George Finder can put an actual dollar amount on damage to your credit reputation. George Finder is one of a handful of experts in the country who can do this, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate the credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's expert credit damage analysis services. Right now, any of our listeners who contact George Finder, tell them that they heard about tell him they heard about him on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio, will receive free of charge one hour of CLE presentation. So lawyers, go grab your pen and take down this address. Uh, it's credit damage associates, plural, credit damage associates at gmx.com. Again, credit damage associates at gmx.com. Um, to respond to George Finder, tell them you heard about him on Law Talk Radio, get a free hour of CLE. Uh, also, you can visit George Credit Damage, Credit Damage Expert George Finder's website at creditdamageexpert.com. Again, that's creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about his services and uh, review a short video explaining uh, the history and how the credit damage analysis system works. We want to also remind any of our callers out there, if you have questions or want to get in touch with any of our sponsors or any of our uh, guests on our show, please don't be shy. Call us at 917 889 option one to be placed in the queue and by email info at alrpra.com now back to our final uh, segment of the show with attorney paul garver of the hinsdale illinois law firm of paul becker and garver paul let's tell people out there really quick how they can contact you sure absolutely uh they're more than welcome to uh contact me over email my email address is paul at h is in harry g is in gorilla legal.com, so paul at hg-legal.com, um, or they can give a call to the office, uh, 630-789-6833. If I'm not there, they can talk to one of my paralegals and schedule a free 30-minute um, estate planning consultation. Uh, they just have to say that that's what they're calling for um, and ask for a time slot, and uh, they will definitely get that scheduled for, for people they call, and I can down and have a discussion about their estate planning goals and and the things that we think we can do for them. Very good, very good. Okay, back to our questions. First of all, before I ask you more questions, do you have anything that you thought of that is a good uh, common mistake that you wanted to address? Wow, I'm uh, I'm trying to think. I, I I know we were at number six. I'm kind of interested to see what the uh, the remainder of the, the list, list have? are. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I feel I feel like uh, it's a little dangerous to ask, but uh, you know why? Why not? Let's, All right. let's I, my luck is held so far on on the list. Let's, uh, let's, let's keep it going. 
let's chalk it up to experience and knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Luck is a good thing. But uh, Attorney Absolutely. Paul Carver knows his stuff. He has not been able to uh, stump us on, on any of our questions. So question number seven is improper disposition of assets. It says this is when your assets are get passed along to the wrong person, for example, a 20-year-old who might receive a larger amount of money than he or she is capable of handling. Um, an inequitable distribution due to incorrect beneficiary designations is also a major error. But this is something that you can imagine is, you know, if I, uh, you know, I'm 35, I, I'm not, I don't have any kids right now, but let's say next year I, uh, you know, get married, have some kids, and say, here you go, and I'm going to give all the money to, you know, in percentages to the to the kid, thinking, well, you know, there's, you know, how much is there? Is there really what, you know, I want my kid to go to college, and, you know, Absolutely. I'm not thinking in, in terms of that, you know. Yeah, well, and this is what I always call the old uh, Camaro and a kegger problem so uh and and uh what i mean by that is uh i don't know if i would have had a decent amount of money dropped on me when i was 18 years old i might have spent it all on a camaro and a kegger it's entirely entirely possible um so uh that that is a concern of a number of clients that i have come to me and i've heard the the craziest things from from clients um not really crazy just interesting uh i've had clients that have wanted money from the estate held off until their uh, kid ends up completing college, right? I've had clients that have wanted it held off until they reach the age of 40. I remind them that I'm not 40, and they said, yeah, but you're not my client. You know, you're, you're not my kid, is what they say. They say, yeah, you're not. Mm-hmm. If you were our kid, all we'd give you the money when you were 30, but, you know, we, uh, you don't know our kids. So um, <laughs> there are a, a number of different uh, feelings about that out there as to when the right time is. And, and I don't think that what, while I'm always happy to discuss what I have seen out there from a number of clients with, with, uh, with my clients when it comes through, um, I am, uh, I, that's, that's not necessarily a legal decision to be made, but it's more of a practical decision. You've got to think about the maturity of the child, um, where, when you think they're going to be capable, uh, what you think is as the right things to do. I've had people say that they want their kid to be 30 before they get the money because they don't, you know, they figure that the kid will have to work before they receive any money from the estate, right? If something were to go wrong and they, they want their kid to have some working experience as opposed to just getting the money from the estate, and maybe sloughing off a little bit or, or something of that, to that degree. But all of this is effectuated in the estate plan, Nick, by what is called a testamentary trust or what we often, you know, term a springing trust. So what you do in the estate plan is you designate um, and you say, if the children are under this age, then a new trust is formed and this person is going to be the testamentary trust trustee, might be who the guardian of the kids are, could be an institution like a bank or um, a financial institution like uh, Northern Trust or someone like that, you know, or a local bank, uh, many of them have trust services and are, and are happy to be named as um, trustees on this, although they do charge generally a percentage of whatever the amount is that they're keeping right, in trust, and that's usually dependent upon how much it is that they're keeping in trust. Attorneys will generally charge an hourly fee for doing something like this, acting as a trustee on the testamentary trust or something to that degree. Um, so the, those are options if you don't have a family member or someone that you would want to serve in that capacity or a friend. But that that is a uh, that that springs out at a certain age, and it says this is the person who's basically the keeper of the money and the guardian of the money. 
the kids come to this person, and that money can be used for the health, welfare, well-being, education, and even sometimes they put, I've had parents put in things like the kids can use a certain percentage if they decide that they want to start their own business or if they want to do X, Y, and Z. I've I've had different conditions be inserted on how that money can be used before they finally get the final distribution. And I've also had different conditions put on when that final distribution is. I've had parents say if they get a four day, if they get a four year degree, they get it when they're twenty three. If they don't, they get it when they're thirty. Right. So these are all um, things that I've had parents handle and and, and utilize um, within their estate plans to make sure that those assets go to the go to the children and go to the go to the beneficiaries, whoever they want to get those assets, you know, at at the right maturity level, if that makes sense. It does. It so does. And I, I look back and you know, have to joke uh, on my own. Um, you know, I was the the brat with the Beamer. My parents used to tease me, but yet they're the ones who bought me the car. Uh, but if I had fallen into money, I mean, I was like a ninja with an Amex card back in college. And I, you know, if a mom and dad, I'm really sorry. I apologize for that. B, I, I can't imagine. Uh, giving you know, <laughs> giving that amount of money and responsibility to someone who hasn't worked or earned for it, um, and that's something that I can I think about now. I said I will not spoil my kids; <laughs> I, they will earn their money, and they you know I'm I'm, I'm not going to you know give uh, you know a provision where a large lump sum falls into someone who's not ready yet to handle it. So um, although people think that they are ready to handle it. Um, you know, you can't. You, I can imagine people taking and in, investing into a business that a friend has or something that this is not a good idea. So, moving on. Okay, we got three questions left. Um, fit, number ten. I'm going to read these back in order because some of you've already answered them. Number ten was not having a master plan uh, and uh, not thinking out your estate planning system ahead of time. Paul, you already touched on that one. So, good job. Yep. Number nine. And number nine was lack of adequate records. Um, where are your assets located? Do you have an updated list of names and numbers of your closest advisors? Already got that one. And the last question, number eight, uh, so I read back number 10 and number nine. We just finished number seven. Number eight was failure to stabilize and maximize, saying that it's very important to know and record the value of your business interests, have an agreement in place that makes provisions for the business if you die, uh, also to have beneficiary designations on all contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how uh, how many how many people come to you, Paul, with uh, business interests that need uh, disposition? And I suppose the, uh, the 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 caveat here is that be careful if you're doing things without an estate planning attorney. Um, to the extent that you have a business, you might really seem to uh, run afoul there. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 has happened. Uh, I wouldn't say frequently, but I have definitely had clients that have their own business or have a business interest. It requires just a little bit. Uh, more work, um, discussions of things that are in place there so that there's an understanding of, of how that's going to affect asset levels. Um, so, you know, the, the good news is is that uh, when that money is, you know, if that money is, um, you know, oftentimes a buy-sell agreement, for example, right, which might be utilized for a partners in a firm or partners in a business, um, is effectuated. And let's say there's a million-dollar life insurance policy that basically if one of the partners dies, that money that's used to kind of fund the buy-sell agreement then gets paid to the deceased partner's family in order to buy out their interest in the business, right? That might be an agreement between two business people. Um, 
So, you know, A, that needs to be reviewed periodically because perhaps they're not funding at an adequate level for what the assets are um, within the business any longer, or maybe they are, you know, whatever it might be. But it still bears up at least a couple minutes of thought and discussion. Um, Again, kind of during that annual, or that not annual, but every three to five years that I've been talking about, during that time that you spend with your estate planning attorney reviewing your estate plan. Um, But but also, um, you know, it it is one of those things that while by doing that, you do avoid uh, it being included um, in the, as an asset in the estate tax of the, of the deceased spouse, right? Um, however, remember, if that money passes to your, uh, you know, your spouse directly, um, well, then it is going to end up in his or her assets when, when they pass, which is really when we're talking about getting hit with an estate tax, right? Um, so still, it has an effect on the estate plan overall um, and on the amount of money from an estate tax perspective uh, that, yeah, that you might have to worry about as far as, you know, passing on to your, to your uh, children. And it makes sense to put into place, again, some estate tax planning measures, um, even if there are those, those buy-sell agreements that are funded by insurance policies and things of that nature that are out there. I know we didn't have a lot of time to cover that, Nick, but I, uh, hopefully that gives us some good answers to a few things. It does. And, Paul, congratulations on successfully answering all of those questions and answering some that I hadn't even asked you yet. So um, you are 10 for 10 uh, as, as, as currently, and the only thing remaining is going to be this Power of Attorney Act. Um, I'd like to know, after you've gone to your conference uh, and your CLE and you have studied up on the Power of Attorney Act, maybe you might pop on the show again and share with us uh, what we may need to know as consumers and uh, remind people that they should call their estate planning attorney. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be more than happy to do that. All right. Very good. All right. Well, we will have Paul Garver back on the Power of Attorney Act. Um, at a future show uh, within his schedule. And uh, we'd like to thank you, Paul, for being on today. Thank you for being our guest. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you also to our listeners out there for tuning into the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. And thank you as well to today's sponsors. We had number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Two, Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. And three, credit damages expert George Finder. Again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may be variable based on your facts and location, and communication with attorney guests among callers and callers on the show does not give a rise to attorney-client relationships. Uh, If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or a professional in your area. And finally, all callers do remain confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. These Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With guests and listeners located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. This is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Yep.